for me, I'm a hobbyist musician, and sometimes I look at someone who manages to make a living of it. You know, like I play with a, I play with a folk group, um, and within that group, there are you know two people who music is full time for them, and a couple other people like me who have other full-time gigs and we do music for fun. And it's hard to not be envious sometimes, to think like, ah, music is your whole life. But then at the same time, I also see the from the outside looking in how that could be really hard to take something you love and turn it into work and not lose the love or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think, I think work has a quality to it. Um, well, you know, it's a big topic. Uh, I, before I make any pronouncements, let me just say, <laughs> yes. I'm not sure I I know uh, from one day to the next if my thoughts are consistent or whether they change or. Sure. You know, I I don't ha I don't know that I. We could talk about today. <laughs> we could talk yeah. about. You know, I could talk about one of my l recent experiences, but uh, you're you're certainly. I think this came about. We were discussing what it's like to be, be out in the mountains and how wonderful that is. Yeah. And then I was thinking, well, yeah, but you know, you work on a cell tower, so you have to work. Yes. And with music, it's, it's like you, I think the spirit, the reason why I thought of it is because it is a spiritual practice mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, much as being in the mountains can be. Yeah. Um, when you bring work into spiritual practice, I mean, I guess if we were really going to talk about this, what's it like being a minister or, or a priest or something? Mm, interesting point, yeah. And my, my wife used to, uh, she just retired from her position as the church um, accompanist at our local church here where I live in. It, that came up a lot, you know, mm. because she used to go to church as a, as a attendee and then became the accompanist, and that's a very different job. Mm. But um, it's a very big topic, isn't it? And yeah. I don't know even where what you want to talk about. So yeah, we'll just, let me just we'll kick just things ramble. off by asking <laughs> Jeremiah. <laughs> let's just uh, tell, you, tell you what can you can you tell me if God exists first of all, and also like what's the point of, of what's the point of existence? Well, like, get, you get the small stuff out of the way first. Yeah, let's yeah, get that okay. out of the way. Then we'll talk accordions. <laughs> Um, no, the, actually, it, I, 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 um, I'm glad you mentioned your wife just, just recently, like earlier, let's see, it was over the weekend. I have a close friend who is a, um, he's something of a, he's becoming something of a real estate mogul, really. He's, uh, keeps, uh, purchasing more and more awesome, uh, properties in more and more exciting places. But he recently bought an old church in Vermont, um, really? that he's turning into kind of an event center, you know, um, wow. And the look of it just made me uh, think so much of some of the venues that I've seen you and Timothy Cummings play in, um, including that Christmas concert that you did. The pandemic makes it crazy. Was it last year or the year before? It was the year before, right? There was a video that we did. It was, it was, it was a video before. feed of the whole thing. It was yourself, your wife, Tim, and a soprano a singer. Yeah. And just us. There were no. Uh, there was no c congregation. That's right. right. It was just yep. just the music from yeah, yeah. That was a prof that was a, that was done professionally um, by a friend of uh, Anamikas who 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 does it for a living. So mm. hopefully it was good quality because oh, it sure it's was. hard. Yeah, I mean, that's her church. Yep. So you saw it. That's the that's, the, that's the church, huh? That that organ in there looked so cool. Do you know how yeah. old that organ is? You know that organ was um, is not old. Um, it's a very small organ, as you might have noticed. Yeah. Um, 
I'm gonna have to say that I don't know enough about it to speak. Does I don't even, does the smallness of the uh, the what are those what do they, what do they call them manuals the manuals Ma- is that what the they manuals, call them? Yeah, yeah. Does the smallness of the manuals relate to the smallness of pipes hidden in the walls or does it? No, have, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Mm. I mean, it, it has to do. Well, I don't know why it's such a short keyboard. I mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry to jump all over the place, Jeremiah, no, no, but you, you mentioned that you come to Moab sometimes. Do you happen to have ever got up to Salt Lake yourself when you've come out here to Utah? Yes. In fact, um, many, many years ago, I played a house concert in Salt Oh, did Lake. you? Yeah, it was after a... Actually, there's an event that I played at up in Colorado, mm-hmm. uh, run by some friends of mine. Um, it's, a, it's a dance event. And then on Sunday afternoon, we, we, we were flying out of... Um, Salt Lake, and we, they, they had us do a house concert on Sunday. Mm. But I, I, I have spent, because of Moab, so I work with the Moab Community Dance Band every year. I go out. Do and you? You get out there every year, them. huh? Yeah, almost. It's been about, geez, seven or eight years now I've been doing it. And I'll just tell you the long story because it seems like we're just going to ramble, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. We're going to take the long, every, every path. Every um, you know fork in the road, we're going to take the long way. Okay? Yes, that's why we're going to do this. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, I I first came out to Moab for the Moab Music Festival, which I don't know if you've heard of it. I have heard of it. Yeah, I've never attended. Quite, but. It's quite uh, it's quite the to do. And and I was, um, gosh, it was twenty years ago maybe. And mm. a fellow by the name of Paul Woodiel uh, and Chris Lair had invited me to play with them. They they are the uh, the you could say the folkloric or traditional Celtic music component of an otherwise strictly classical um, festival. Mm. But it was very um, eye-opening. We played outside in all these incredible venues. And I, Chris, um, Chris and I both kind of fell in love with, with the place. And, and he was, Chris was a little more able to just pick up and move. And so he came out to Moab and started a contra dance band Oh, and like he after, moved himself there on a... Well, he, he did stay. He, he spent a lot of time out there. I, I shouldn't see. say he So it wasn't necessarily his, his home necessarily, but he was Not there Not really, but he, he spent a lot of time there, and he got mm. it going. He got the energy yeah. to really get it off the ground. Um, and then uh, Miriam Graham is the, the woman I work with who, who was there then, and she's, she's sort of taking it on as her own mission. So she raises funds to fly... Um, to bring me out mm-hmm. and pay me, and that's great. Uh, obviously, it, 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 um, it it's not it's not terribly expensive for them. You know, they're a larger, they're say, 15 people or maybe 12 people altogether. I mm-hmm. guess they don't all show up at once, but I get to work with them. They're lovely people, and I get to enjoy being in Moab. So yeah, I, so I really, I've got to assume you've maybe taken a peek at Arches National yeah, Park. Yeah, I, I mean that the first time I came, Miriam was a um, was a ranger at Arches. Oh, really? Gotcha, gotcha. And so she she showed me all the back, you know. Yeah, you got you got the exclusive sees. tour. Yeah. But you know, uh, gosh, it um, and this is so uh, this is so sad. It has really changed. Yeah. Really changed. Yeah, I, I feel um, like Arches was sort of like. The, I mean, there's a lot of public land out here in the western U.S., of course, but Arches yeah. was kind of our the, the our family favorite when I was a kid. We'd go down to Arches quite a lot. And uh, I actually, I think maybe my wife and I took our kids when our oldest were very little once, but yeah. um, it, we haven't gone back, and it's not because we don't love the park. It just, uh, uh, it's not the same. 
Yeah, it's it. I find it. Um, it's changed so much that I. So there's other places, obviously, to mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. yeah, there are. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, I always loved standing there in the red rock of arches and looking to the south, especially around this time of year, around the fall and winter. And the LaSalle mountain range was right there with the, so it's like you'd have the red oh. rock and then the blue mountains and then the white tips on the mountains. It's so amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Um, shoot. This is a, this is a series. This, the, why not take the winding road? Um, and now I'm trying to think like, what's a really classy segue to get from, from national parks in Southern Utah into to, accordions? To the accordion. Yeah. <laughs> There's gotta be a way I don't to think do there, this. I don't know if there is. <laughs> well, um, let me say, what I understood you, your very first, when you reached out to me, and I was, I was trying to think, when was that? When did we first? Yeah, it, it blends for me a bit, because I know, see, I've been listening to your music um, oh, for at least, at least since 2016 or so. Okay, um, was that with Tim, the, the, ring, the wind among the reeds? That's, that's when I first, yes, that's when I first yeah. came across your music. Now, now, this morning, I've been listening to nothing but the, the, the Clayfoot Strutters. Um, oh, <laughs> so I've, I've 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 progressed since then. Well, I, maybe I shouldn't say progressed, but I think my, you've devolved. Uh, devolved. <laughs> my my uh, sampling of of the music of Jeremiah, we might say, has has uh, has sp- spread out a bit since then. But still, well, the Wind Among the Reeds is one of my favorite. Oh uh, yeah, of all uh, bagpipey albums for sure. And, and you know, funny thing about the Strutters, James, that that um, there was a bagpiper in the Clayford Strutters. His name was Chris Lair, the same fellow I was. Just... Oh no way! Oh, there you go. There's our there's our our, there's our, uh, our full our circle. Yeah. yeah, perfect. I mean, he Chris plays the Highland bagpipes. Yeah, and, so um, he might have been. Uh, I know there's a whistler that I hear quite a bit in the Clayfoot Strutters. Well, quite yeah, a bit on several him. tracks. That must is that him? Yep. I yeah, and he, he's quite sense. virtuoso actually. I mean, I have to say he he played he played the bassoon and the Indiana uh, orchestra. Uh, I'm trying to think, where did he play in Indianapolis? Indiana mm. Orchestra. He was. Um, uh, an amazing Highland and, and small pipe player, and then he picked up the Ilian pipes, and he was mm. just killer on that. I mean, the guy's he's a genius. That's however, awesome. However, talking about geniuses, let's talk about Timothy Cummings. Mm. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, have, I have grown... Uh, Tim and I are friends uh, very much, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I should just point that out, that um, he and I... Gosh, we met. Well, Pete Sutherland introduced us. That that's the uh, fiddler. Fiddler, uh, it's yeah. It's in um, the, um, the Strutters. I'm just trying to think. We did some projects together. We, uh, we had a, pro- a program called the Armageddon Quartet. Oh, that's a good. Okay, I'm hang sure. on a sec. Did it include a banjo as well? Yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So Tim, Tim uh, Pete played the banjo. Uh, Tim on the bagpipes and the accordion, and then we had a we we had we wanted to have a bombard. Uh, yeah, but we couldn't. Yeah. So we said so we got a viola. We thought, well, is that close enough? <laughs> and Tim and I did a couple of things as a duo, and it just immediately clicked. Yeah. Um, it really, his his ear, his musicality, and I think above all, his personality really mm. made it uh, such a good fit for mm. for both of us. So um, I'm just trying to think. You know, I'm giving you a little bit of the background. We, he introduced me to my wife. Um, oh, really? Yeah, so the story was that uh, my wife is from the Netherlands. She'd been, she married a fellow that was from Burlington and moved over here uh, quite a while ago. And then they got separated and she was 
she was living in Burlington, going to the same church that Tim was. Mm -hmm. And they sang, I think they sang together in the church. And Tim knew her music. And, he, and then she took her to a concert that I did um, in the area with a group called Nightingale. Did you ever, oh, did you get around to listening I, to I Nightingale? I have listened to Nightingale, yeah. yeah. Well, so, anyway, um, and I think uh, we just, you know, so we hit it off and, and he became the godfather to our son, Luke. Oh, wow. So, so I would say Tim is, you know, and Tim, his partner, Mary, Leslie, I've worked with, she's a contra dance caller, among other things. Mm. So, Well, the connections run deeper than I had even imagined. Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's way up in Burlington. It's an hour and a half from here. Mm. But, of course, for you, that's not, but I know an hour and a half, you know, it's not oh, I'll, I'll that tell you what. far. <laughs> I, went to, I went to Dell Tech for uh, some training for work a little while ago on uh, some safety stuff and was really disoriented for a while about just how quickly we crossed state lines and stuff like that, you know, like traveling, just like going yeah. to dinner and going to different places and stuff on the weekends and stuff like that, just like um, very disorienting to me to be like, wait, I landed in one state, and but I'm going to a place in another state, you know, is a... Uh, I'm going to dinner in a different state? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, well, what? yeah, very very confusing for, for me where, where I'm used to traveling between like Utah, Nevada, and California, you know. Oh my <laughs> so. gosh. Are you from California originally, James? No, I grew up here in Utah, yeah. I did? Oh. Yeah, my mom's from Washington. My dad's from South Dakota. They met at a university in in Utah and stayed there. Utah's Utah's an amazing place. I have to say, I I fear it at some level. (laughs) You know about the guy from Utah that tried to buy... A ton, a ton of acreage up here where I live. Yes, and build yeah, a city. the city of Joseph, he called it, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Did you know that's literally where I live? No, really. It's, exa- it's I've, the, I've always the, wanted to, like, I want to go there just to be like, what was he thinking? What's, what's, and is that still going on or did he No, get, no, okay. he, uh, no, there, uh, the, the old Vermont resistance, um, <laughs> there was a lot of community activism. I mean, yeah. people saw it as a threat. And to be honest with you, I, I think that's the only way you can see it. He, it, it's, it, it also, I can't help thinking to myself that it's like a return of a threat of a century and a half previous as well that, to, to other places, this sort of like this idea of like I'm just gonna take over you know like yeah, this is all yeah. <laughs> I've yeah, got what not- you have there I mean he, he obviously he did couch it in terms of you know renewable energies and yeah, affordable yeah. housing and and God knows we need affordable housing um, but anyway um, th- that's so ironic that that he that the town that he chose is you know the town we live in the yeah. town next to us you know it was just you know it's a remote area but not that remote. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of activism here. Yeah. People, yeah. So anyway, that, that, no, that fell by the way. He's probably doing it somewhere else. Oh, yeah. I, I believe he did. I haven't, like, followed his project closely, but I do remember, you know, it's certainly a curiosity. It's the kind of thing you hear about and you go, wow, wait, wait a minute. You know, like, how often do you have this, like, somewhat independently wealthy um, individual trying to do something on that scale? You know, it's a kind of an almost like it has I don't know kind of an Elon Musk flavor to it I guess um, yeah yeah I think and, and I think it would have been just out of keeping with what, what Vermont is I guess I mean yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
Hey friends, this is uh, just me from the future in the uh, editing room, as it were. I figured that since we were getting so darn rambly here at the front end of the show, I'd just go ahead and interrupt the flow of the conversation here rather than later. Uh, I do apologize if this is just painfully boring for anybody listening. Feel free to, you know, hit that skip ahead 30 seconds button if you want to. Uh, it gets a little more focused on the uh, on the bagpipe and accordion music as the show goes on. So, But it's probably obvious I was just having a great time talking to Jeremiah. He's a, he's a cool cat and lots of fun to talk to, and he makes some really great music. Um, this album, again, is The Wind Among the Reeds. Uh, Jeremiah and Timothy Cummings have done a few projects together that, that blend accordion and bagpipes, and they're all excellent. I'll have links to, to their sort of portfolio of work down below, as well as some of Jeremiah's other work, that, which is also excellent. Um, don't forget, you can support the show via Patreon, or you can just send me gold bullion or, or uh, cash or money order, anything. I'll, I'll take currency or precious metals or uh, bagpipes. You know, you got some bagpipes laying around and you want to send them to me, I'll, I'll take them. Um, and uh, what, what else? You can email the show, uh, the droning on podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, links to the social media and all that kind of stuff. It's all down below. Oh, but we are doing a, of course, we'll do a drawing this month, and the, that'll be the giveaway this month is um, this album that we're talking about, The, the Wind Among the Reeds. Um, it felt like um, we went kind of too much of a stretch without hearing a track here as well. So in the background here, you're hearing the opening track from the album. Super cool one. It's got a title that I can't pronounce, so I'm just going to stick it in here and uh, check out the album to find out what the title is. Um, so I'll play this track out, and then it'll, we'll just uh, fade back into the conversation. Thank you again. Have a great day, and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. rambling in the extreme but i'm gonna i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to do my part to bring us back why, to the discussion why don't you take the hand. lead huh forget forget me i'm, I'm obviously <laughs> failing at my host duties will you, will you, <laughs> you know the, the, i mean in a way actually a good a good interview just goes yeah and you know i think that's the thing we'll just trust that this is going somewhere good um, right but I had never really I, th I did think about this this morning yeah. you know james when i got up i I started thinking about the bagpipes in particular because I knew we were going to be talking. And, yeah. you know, that's your audience, right? So it we is, should yes. address the, the issue of the uniqueness, the downright extraordinarily unusual uh, set of circumstances that, that bring the pipes to, to, to people's consciousness. You know, many mm -hmm. people who do not play the bagpipes, and I, I think we can count none of your listeners, but all of the rest of the world. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you know, people just don't understand the instrument at all. Mm, yeah. At all. It, it's... Wrapped in a You look at somebody like play, you don't even know where the sound is coming from it or how they're producing it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a, it's a gorgeous sound that I, I think, first and foremost, 
the sound, I mean, especially the small pipes. I'm, I'm a big fan of the small pipes. The yeah. sound is so enticing. Mm. It is, you know, a wooden reed has a sound like a human voice. And it's mm. really exceptionally beautiful. And I think that is never lost on me. Like, I always, when I listen to the pipes, I just feel like, you know, you, you, you listen to a piper warming up their instrument. And it sounds like the most beautiful thing you've ever heard. It's, it's mm. like it doesn't really require, and again, the things that it lacks to, to be, to, to paint the picture. Of course, everybody, you know, again, your listeners know this, but the thing that people don't understand, that I didn't understand, is what is, uh, is not present mm. um, in mm. the bagpipes, what is not possible. And that's a lot, you know. There, there right, are many yeah. musical elements, dynamics and range, um, just tonal, you know, tonal variation. It's, it's very limited that way. And yeah. the funny thing is that when Tim and I started working together and started really thinking about what we were doing, and then we decided to record, and then we were going to write about what we were doing, mm. I sort of realized it's this weird combination. I mean... Accordion and bagpipes have been a pairing since the 1800s, practically. Okay, tell, tell, I, I'm tell gonna me be, anything you've got about well, this. Very, I'm, very I'm curious about this, yeah. Well, every culture has a version of the bagpipes. Let's yeah. start there. there. I don't believe there's a culture that doesn't have bagpipes. It's so, yeah. it's so ubiquitous. But I, I think accordion, this is something that many, many of us pipers run into, is that if we get any kind of question about our instrument, it's, are you playing Scottish or Irish? And it's like, okay, well... Well, there's a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, there are other options, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I think if, if we limit this to a discussion of the, the Western world, that yeah. does help things. Yeah. And so in the West, I think accordions were common in the eight, you know, late 1800s, mm -hmm. turn of the century for sure. Like 1900 was such an explosion of accordion. And, and do you All, include, when, when you say accordion in this case, is this kind of a fam familial term? like? Yes, I'm talking about the family, the right. Bellows family, because yeah. the instrument evolved a lot mm -hmm. rather quickly. But by the late 1800s, I do know that they were producing, they were all button accordions at the time, so yeah. they weren't piano accordions, but essentially they did exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And why that instrument caught on so fast, I don't know, because it's, it's relatively new. I think it was the solution to so many other problems that instruments had of tuning. Like the accordion mm. just was like, it's the gold standard. You don't tune it. Right. It, now that's not to say that it, it didn't go out of tune because because <laughs> sure they do. <laughs> yeah. But they but these things were manufactured, and I think industrial revolution. You know that was Germany, Italy. Oh, they were sure. starting to pump these things out, and the Italians pump them and it out. It really huh? is. It's pump mostly. Them out. The Italians, I think, they uh, brought yeah. it with them when they emigrated to to Paris, to other cities. Um, when I think of like a modern accordion, like well, modern also like what they would have been bringing from Italy and and Germany, et cetera, are they all going to have metal reeds or were wooden yeah. reeds ever a thing? No, there were no wooden reeds. Okay. I, not, to my knowledge, and and by the way, I I am not uh, the person. Who is going to declare uh, anything definitive about about these these subjects? I'm not a historian, 
nor am I particularly well-versed in the history of the accordion. Well, I know that, that hey, if we're going to open by declaring things about the existence of God, the nature of life and reality, um, you know, that kind of stuff, then you can go ahead and declare stuff about accordions at this point. Let's not start oh, getting, oh, well, let's not start getting okay, careful I, now. I can make pronouncements. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm more worried that somebody will say, oh, by the, you know, I'll get all these phone calls. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, um, I don't know of any wooden reeded accordion. I just I don't see. know of it. I don't, you know, the, well, the problem is I think you need to have access, right? If you mm. have a wooden reed, yeah, that's you're going to need, need access to the reed. Yeah. The metal, the idea of metal, and I think this is Charles Wheatstone, right? This is in England. He came up with this instrument called the concertina, and the whole point was that it was metal reeds which would not change yeah. so much. Yeah. But the accordion introduced something much more diabolic <laughs> than the concertina had envisioned because it, it included these buttons that were basically triads. Yeah, that's and right. And the triad yeah. button, I mean, I think of it, you know, from the point of view of a bagpipes, not only are you playing with an instrument that isn't well, that's well-tempered so that it can't play, I can't play microtones, mm. but to add insult to injury, then on my left hand, when I am accompanying any melody that we're playing, it's everything's in thirds and... Mm. There's no, there's no room for a bagpiper to be who they are, in a way. In, in a weird way, I, somebody has to explain this to me. Why did the bagpipers of, of the past put up with this instrument when it, mm. <laughs> it took away almost everything that they were creating? Mm. This ambiguous sound, you know, mm. where, where, the, where you can really revel in things not being well-tempered. Mm, yeah. Um, it's such an amazing quality. And the, and the accordion just comes in and just changes all of that. Do you, do you feel like, is, is the contrast something like, the, like the, the accordion has like some, like all lines are very clearly defined. It's kind of like, it's this or it's that, but there's not yeah, a slide I mean, in between, whereas bagpipes are like, eh, it's kind of ethereal. We're kind of, you know, like approximately here and I'm going to slide over here kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very, I mean, just the notion of, of the keyboard. The keyboard, you go yeah. from one note, one note ends and another note begins. There's mm -hmm. no in between. Yeah. You can try. Um, Lord knows piano players, I, I grew up as a piano player first and foremost, and one of the things I learned to do as a very young person is imitate blues singers mm. on the piano. Mm. Now, I could walk over to the piano and plunk it out for you, but I don't know that you would hear me. Mm. Give it a try. Let's see if I'll, it comes I'll through. I'll try it. But, you know, the, the whole idea of blues was that you had notes in between the cracks. Yeah. So... Can you hear that okay? Yes, that comes through clear, So yeah. that idea... Instead of doing individual notes, you'd have... Sure, yeah. I mean, that's an that's a imitation of a vocal blue note that is two notes on the piano played mm. together. So anyway, um, I did want to get back to the accordion. The thing about the accordion that I think that it... It offered, and, and again, if I can take up one example, which is really telling, and mm -hmm. I, you may know the story, I, I don't know if you know about French valse musette, the kind of music that was heard in Paris at the beginning of the 1900s. No, so, I, I, I really don't. I, I suspect you, I've probably heard samples of it, but uh, I, wouldn't, probably I wouldn't recognize it um, for, for its name, no. 
I think the great it illustrates a little bit about this this relationship that you know, and again, it, because it comes um, Tim and I playing together, you asking me to do this interview. I did think about this one story which I want to tell you, which yeah. really gets at the heart of the bagpipe and the accordion. The um, the the people from Auvergne in France, uh, uh, which is the central part of France, emigrated to um, Paris in the late 1800s, like everybody else, you know. And they, you know, they were they came, they brought their customs with them, their food and their instruments, and that included an instrument called the cabrette, which is a French bagpipe. Mm. And they played their music, and they had these little uh, parties in Paris, and they were known for selling coal because there was a lot of coal in Auvergne, and so they would truck it up to Paris, and they sold it for fuel. And they had these little coal stores, and they they also sold, um, you know, newspapers and tobacco. And mm. the, these tiny little establishments would close at the end of the workday, and then in the evening they would have dances. And the dance of that area uh, was played on the bagpipe. Mm. On, on the cabaret. All through the late 1800s, this was a thing. At the same time, these Italian families were emigrating to Paris, and they brought the accordion, oh, the button okay. accordion. Yeah. And at the time, that instrument is uh, similar to the one that I play in that it was a fully chromatic instrument, but instead of a keyboard, they had buttons on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. But it basically, and I don't know if you're familiar with the, the layout of the accordion, but it can accompany on the left hand with all kinds of bass notes and triads, major, minor, dominant, diminished. Mm -hmm. has a full chromatic palette. And the accordion, um, the accordion players started, you know, meeting up and, and jamming with some of the bagpipers and, uh, and other musicians. There was Naturally, lots of... Yeah. 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 Well, there were banjo players, too, mm -hmm. actually. Um, and I, I want to... I wish I could read... I just want to see if I can find this great quote because it has... It says a lot about the relationship between the two. Um, yeah. Well, while you look, I just wanted to let you know... Um, yep. Like... Definitely, please, please do be speaking to me as if I know nothing about the accordion, because that's that's part part of my interest here is that I have often been really surprised by how many bagpipers at professional levels and hobby levels, their second instrument or third or you know like one of their secondary instruments that they dabble with is the accordion. There's like something really. It's it's not. I have no. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the opposite of like just stories you tell? I have no empirical data on this. Yes. Just. Um, just little hints here and there that like, oh, you you know, Stuart Little plays the accordion as well. Like, oh, and my friend here who plays bagpipes just picked up an accordion. Like there seems to be some strong interest. And so there's a strong chance that a lot of people listening who are pipers either have dabbled in accordion or want to dabble in accordion. Because there well, seems if to they be know about the accordion, then what I'm about to say, yes, it might be redundant, but I will, I will start from the beginning is... Mm -hmm. Not the, well, the very, very beginning, we go back to China. There was an instrument in China that is the believed to be really the precursor of all accordions. It was called the sheng, and it, it, it looks and sounds a bit like an organ. It has tubes that you blow into, but there are reeds. And I actually think 
at that, this is a very old instrument. Those were wooden reeds. Oh, okay. So there's our there's our. So uh, there's maybe the, the, the source of yeah the the Shang used wooden reeds, I believe. Uh -huh. um, but they were in tubes, and they used direct. You blew over. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh wait, is this that instrument that I've that was used in the Mandalorian soundtrack? Um, I, I, like sticks of bamboo with little 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 reeds over holes. Uh, I shouldn't. That, that's. I'm being way too vague about this. I'm sorry. Okay, I shouldn't, well, even, shouldn't even brought that up. I, I'm not sure. But at any rate, um, the accordion really didn't get in. Yeah, as Charles, I think the first time of metal reed usage was the concertina in England by this guy Charles Wheatstone, and mm -hmm. the, and that quickly. And I do have a timeline, which I could even read to you. But, you know, I, since we're chatting, I don't want to get too... I want to be vague enough to just say that the Italians were the ones that are so closely associated with the production of the instrument. Mm -hmm. um, well, the Italians and the Germans. And the story that I'm going to tell you takes place in Paris mm -hmm. around 1906. Mm -hmm. Now, so imagine here you are in Paris... You're from the Auvergne. You play the bagpipe, and you, you, you go to these balls, and you play, and there are banjo players there, because there was no... Guitar was not a thing early 1900s, if you... I don't know if you knew that, but the, the guitar was not an instrument that uh, Europeans played, but they did have the tenor banjo. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing was they were heavily influenced by music in the United States. At the same time as they were doing this stuff, we were having vaudeville. Oh, okay, sure. And, yeah. and so there, it's interesting that in 19, you know, early 1900s, there was so much um, a, a transatlantic communication and influence that musicians in Paris knew about jazz. You know, they knew about the beginnings of, of music in the United States. They listened to tango from Argentina. They knew about... You know, these were sophisticated people. This is, after all, this is Paris. So they knew a lot of stuff. That is very interesting because I, I so often think of the transatlantic transfer of culture being purely Western in direction rather than a back and forth, you know? Oh, no, they were, oh, my gosh, Europe was so influenced by early jazz. Yeah. And, you know, 19, 1906, I don't know what, what was happening in the United States in terms of actual jazz. It was certainly, ragtime was big. I mean, there were... Were, there were the rumblings of a new type of, of expression. And all through the early 1900s, this connection between France and the United States was very strong. I just mm -hmm. want to say, like, but back to this story. So um, there was a guy called Buscatel, and he, he was a famous bagpiper, like super famous. And he had a bar in Paris. Um, and this guy called Charles, per I think it was, you know, I'm trying to, Perguri, I thought it was. Mm. At any rate, he, he, he wanted to, he, he asked to sit in, and there was a, a bagpipe, and I guess a hurdy-gurdy, which is another French instrument, medieval French instrument. And they played together um, with this guy, Perguri, and what was amazing was the accordion was both loud, in tune, and could accompany itself. Mm -hmm. And with heart, with not just with drones, like the bagpipe has drones, okay? Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. You can accompany yourself on a bagpipe. But the accordion was like doing, 
like jazz progressions and doing syncopations and and doing yeah. things that and the 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 guy um this guy says and this is the quote I want to read to you the days of my bagpipes this is Buscatel talking the bagpiper yeah the days of my bagpipes are numbered and you're hurdy gurdy too this fellow with his accordion carries with him our ruin <laughs> it is a revolution on the way it's a complete orchestra this instrument of the devil <laughs> so basically that's great <laughs> at the time there was an uh, understandably so the mayor of paris got involved because 19 by 1910 there was this huge a, a number of accordion players taking gigs. Bagpipers and hurdy-gurdyists are rising up and saying these accordionists so, are taking I mean, our work. This is, this is serious. The mayor of Paris issued a proclamation and he said Bal Musette, which is what they called it, Musette. Uh -huh. That's another name for the bagpipe. Only, um, are the only instrument allowed, and he lists list the instruments, bagpipe, you know, banjo, hurdy-gurdy, but but he 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 says there will be no accordion. The accordion was the the the, the officially persecuted by the state to, yes, to get him out of there. By the mayor of Paris. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because they had to obviously they had to do that because that it was making inroads. Yeah. And they didn't want that, and it was foreign, and et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Well, of course, okay. Yeah. So the end of this is a happy ending to the story that uh, Buscatel had a daughter, Baguri had a son. Wouldn't you know? They fall in love. Get oh, married. It's, it's like the kingdoms forming an alliance. It's very, it's very much like that. It's, it, it's kind of classic, story. actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I hadn't heard that story before. That's delightful. It's, it is a great story, yeah. Um, and I think the son, so, she, so she was the daughter of Buscatel, who's probably the very, very famous. I don't think she actually played the bagpipes. Uh, that was going to be I my next question, is if they each no. played the instrument or if it was more just a, a, a mixing of the I families. think it was the families. Yeah. And then the son of Paguri was a maker. She said, uh, again, it was had to do with the manufacturing of yeah. the instruments. But it, what it did, um, it really did cement the relationship between the bagpipes and the accordions so that through the teens, the 20s, the 30s, right up until the war. Mm. Uh, French valse musette was what we call it today, is known for uh, the sound of the accordion. The accordion kind of, it's when you hear it, um, immediately it brings you to an era and a place. You hear accordion, it's, and, and you, know, you most often hear it in some kind of silly ad for something. It's very evocative. Mm. It's jazzy sounding. It's chromatic sounding. You see, you see the Paris rooftops. You see a okay. cafe. Yes. And you see somebody playing the, the accordion. Now, what's interesting, is that this is all they they literally whitewashed the bagpipe right out of the picture, like because <laughs> nobody, in their right mind, would hear the sound of this music today and think, oh, well, once upon a time, it was the only the bagpipe. Right. No, not not at all. Um, it makes me think of there's an accordionist that I, I don't know if you know of him. Um, I, see, I don't know. See, I'm 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 a member of the bagpipe uh, family, and I don't know much about the accordion family over there on the other side, right? But there's this guy named Dan Newton. I do know Dan. I know him quite well. Uh, so he does 
like he just has a couple albums that are just straight up called Cafe Accordion, you know, um, yep. and some learning yep. books based off those as well that I have here on my shelf. So that's 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 kind of why I've followed him. And I feel like the music that you're describing immediately is some of his tunes that come to mind, like very evocative of like this commercial scene of a Parisian cafe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's it's a marketing thing. I mean, it's I'll have to say it's very. Um, it, it, you know, it's it's. I mean, I get it. I, I get that that we like to have things simplified for, for our, oh, us. Oh, yeah. And but part of human nature, for sure. Yeah. It, it's complicated Categorized because and simplified, yeah. within that history that we've been talking about, there's so many mini dramas and stories. There's a lot more detail in it. Mm. The, the bagpipe didn't just disappear, obviously, because it's still being played. I have I play with friends. There are tons of bagpipers in France today yeah. who play the cabaret. Um, and the accordionists, you know, we have register switches and they have names. And one of the register switch names is Musette. But that's really? a word for bag. That's yeah. a word for bagpipe. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And, uh, yeah. Now, um, so I'm going to just read you this timeline because cause we talked, I talked about this earlier and I didn't want to say, yes, I'll give you a timeline. But if we want to go historically. Yeah. And we do. The Sheng, which is spelled S-H-E-N-G. The Sheng was, um, is dated about 3000 B.C. in China. Good heavens. Yeah, is, so it's really an old technology. And again, that, those reeds would have, well, by necessity, they were metal. They, I mean, sorry, they were wood. They yeah. were not metal. They probably were cane reeds. Mm -hmm. I don't know too much about it. But, but then we jump forward to the 12th century in England, there was a reed organ, and I'm really interested to know m more about that, whether that had wooden reeds or not, because mm. I don't know. So that's 12th century, and then, again, that was an organ, so played with a keyboard, mm -hmm. like organs were. Um, the difference is, instead of the pipes that we associate and, and the columns of air with organs today, these, reed, these organs were reed organs. Mm -hmm. But it, I guess it just didn't take, I mean, obviously, the addition of the bellows was a whole other thing. Now, in 1820, in Europe, somewhere, I'm not even sure, the harmonica was developed. Sure, yeah. yeah. So that was an early reed instrument that was mouth-blown. The, the English concertina, 1829, that was the first introduction of bellows with a reed instrument. Mm. And then shortly, at the same time in, in Germany, they had they developed this thing called the diatonic accordion. Are you familiar with the two terms diatonic and chromatic as regards to the accordion? You know, I took a music theory class in high school. Yeah. I wish, I, I'd like to think that the past me could have given you a good definition, but I, no, really, I couldn't tell you. Okay, well, for your listeners, I think this is, this is relevant because it's important. Um, and by the way, the bagpipe, let's be honest, is a diatonic instrument. Mm. Although it's capable of some chromaticism. Should we say di diatonic-ish? It, it, we could say that. Now, what does that actually mean? I, I will explain using, again, my piano because it's so handy. Mm -hmm. A diatonic instrument is considered, and again, uh, I, I apologize for offending any purists. I'm, I'm generalizing here. But an instrument that can play in a key. 
that is what we call a diatonic scale. Mm. It has the seven notes of the scale and no others. So the only thing you can do with that, of course, as you know, well on a bagpipe, well, you can play in a major key, you can play in a minor key, (laughs) or you can play in a mixolydian key, uh, or what we would call modal tunes, many Scottish and... Yeah, right. So, that's, so, so there's the di- that's, that's maybe even kind of our default. Um, it might be actually yeah. because, well, yes, the bagpipe. Yes, in in view of the um, where the drones are placed, oftentimes that scale is the default scale. Because isn't that um, doesn't that have is it the seventh that's kind of funky? Exa- you, well, it's not funky. It's lowered. <laughs> it's lowered. Yeah, exactly. That's for in bagpipe terms. That's our G, our high G. Um, yeah. but that's at least what we call it, even though it doesn't necessarily sound that way. Um, well, uh, I'll play it in the right key. This is A, B, C sharp, D, E, F sharp, G natural. Yes, that's that's our home base there. That's your home base. And that is your diatonic, that's your mixolydian, if you want to get technical. It's mm-hmm. called the mixolydian mode. Um, you probably knew that. I didn't. Um, you you just go ahead and treat me as if I don't know anything, because that's probably going to be well, accurate. Well, you know, in most these cases. modes. <laughs> I mean, the modes have names. The Greeks gave them names. Yeah. We use the Greek names. And I, I think that it, for any pipers who have also dabbled in whistle, that's part of why some of some tunes just don't quite sound the same. Like if you yeah. try playing like Minstrel Boy or something, you get to that seventh, and on the whistle, it's going to come out like in this case a G sharp instead of a oh. G natural. Oh, that and doesn't so work. It that's does make not... us some of a, some of our versions hopping from bagpipe chanter to whistle or something like that do sound just a little a little off, and that's why. Well, sure, that makes sense. Now, um, again, so these diatonic accordions. Do the same thing. Ah, gotcha. Okay. They can they play in one key, uh, a major scale. They play um, in a uh, in a different key, a minor scale, and yet another key, uh, a mixolydian scale or mode. So they have that going for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, if you were to sit at a piano like I am doing, and you were to say, okay, instead of just going. I'm going to play all the black, white, and white notes together. I'm going to play them all. That's a very different scale, right? Yeah. Sounds different, and it's called a chromatic scale. Mm. Um, it is, it is uh, thanks to our, um, our, the great J.S. Bach, we know it on the piano is, is a well-tempered... Um, in other words, all of these notes that I'm playing are equidistant from uh, each other. Well-tempered, as in the, the famous ca- ca- caval- cal- calavier, cavalier? The well-tempered clavalier? Is that, is that what <laughs> it is? <laughs> now you've got the, the well-tempered clavier. Clavier, that's it. There clavier <laughs> is a word for the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha. So the well-tempered clavier was his box attempt to demonstrate why it was so important that we have a system where all the notes were the same distance because before his time they weren't. Have Have you ever um, listened to or watched people playing keyboards that have been uh, tuned to different standards that are often yes, like I have. In fact, Tim. This? It's like the yes, the poorly Tim tempered cal- clavier. Cal- 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 clavier. Clavier. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know the funny thing is, there's a great book out which you should definitely read about. Um, I think it, it says why just. Why, why, uh, 
equal temperament ruin music. It says, <laughs> now how, how equal temperament ru ruined music and why you should care. <laughs> now, in bagpipes, sometimes we talk about equal temperament, temperament versus just intonation. Is that, yeah. is that kind of coming into play here? I don't honestly yes, understand that. Perfectly, yes, that, you know? that is. Now, um, but before we, okay, so that's another, that's a path down the road that is, um, it's not a small path. In fact, it's more like a, a trip down the Grand Canyon. I'm not sure we'll ever get <laughs> so maybe back. maybe we shouldn't if, turn that direction right now. <laughs> if we do that, we'll just go, we're going to get lost down yeah. there. <laughs> so let's go back to this, these, the, the two poles that we've been talking about, yeah. chromatic versus diatonic. Right. Yeah. It's really important from uh, an accordionist's point of view to understand that they are two completely separate instruments. And although you can pretend to play like a diatonic accordion with a chromatic instrument, like a piano accordion, mm -hmm. it, it isn't. It's chromatic. You mm -hmm. can play all the white and black notes. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing with a bagpipe, you have, you know, there are things that you, you just have to realize, oh, the bagpipe can't, oh, it can't do that note. It doesn't have mm -hmm. that capacity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the single hardest thing for me, every time I sit down to write a tune, um, I'll, I'll write, write one with Tim in mind, let's say. Mm -hmm. And um, I wrote one of the, uh, actually, well, I, I ended up giving this one tune the title, Yeah, Nah, Yeah, Nah. Uh, I think it's an expression that they have in New Zealand. Mm. where Tim used to live, which means no, no right. way. <laughs> because it's very hard. So, so I wrote a tune, and I thought, oh, this will be great on the bagpipes. And Tim took one look at it, and he said, yeah, nah. <laughs> it's hard to write for bagpipes because yeah. you have to know um, not only the range. You have to understand the range, which is, you know, again, quite limited. Yeah, or, or lack end, thereof, right? Yeah, you have to understand. And the other word that I think is relevant is the, the, the ground, where, where the center of the scale is going to be. Yeah. Um, as you say, high G. You, know, you have to know you can't... It's just, there's so many things... When I write music, I find myself intuitively going outside that. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, Tim, you can adapt... Course, right. Know, bagpipers get used to that. But. Yeah, aside from, I mean, of course, we can use tape to kind of adjust our tuning holes. And with small pipes, you've got other tuning schemes. You could, I mean, like you could get a chanter that's pitched to D or C or A or B flat um, to kind of get around some of this. Of yeah. course, there are things like Illin pipes and stuff like that too. Um, there, there are options. But for, for some, sure. for, for for many of us, like it's actually the limitations that is, is a big part of what uh, makes it interesting. Because then it's like, well, what can what can I do with this? And it kind of drives creativity in some ways, though it, it can also lead to frustration in a lot of cases. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, um, Jeremiah, I I opened the episode in in post. I'll put in. Um, I was thinking to open with uh, with. Um, that five four waltzes set that you and oh, Tim yeah. did together, Be just oh, yeah. that's that's the first track that like stabbed my heart, you know, in a beautiful good way, and um, so it's it's kind of special to me at this point. Um, it's Port Williams and Apple Knoll, but I wondered where you. Um, there's another track on that on that uh, Wind Among the Reeds album. I I don't know if this is applicable to the conversation we've had thus far because I'm seeing a French name, 
and that makes uh -huh. me think maybe it is. It's track seven. It's Les Morvandiao. Yeah, uh, you you got it more or less correct. Yeah, that that track in and I'll say it once so you have it. Les, that's mm -hmm. the Morvandio, and that means the people from the area of France known as Morvan. It's mm -hmm. it's a it's a area in France. So the set goes from that into Caesars, which I do understand is based off a classical piece, also by a French composer, right? Yes, Caesar Funk, that's correct. And then it goes into Sound of Slate, which is a very familiar bagpipe tune. Right. And this right. is part of why I thought maybe this would be an appropriate tune to look at for the sake of that fusion, you know, of the instruments and maybe of places and stuff like that. Um, I find this set exciting because it feels like the accordion actually takes the lead in the sound of slate, which is not what I would have expected. You know, I would have expected the bagpipe to lead out and the accordion to just kind of accompany. You know what I mean? Oh, really? I'm just curious. Why? Why would you assume that? I guess because, at least in my mind, like sound of slate is one that I've been playing since like I might have learned that the first year I started playing bagpipes when I was a teenager. It feels like very much this is a bagpipe tune, and so I guess there's just like an un unconscious association with that meaning that therefore it belongs to the bagpipe the bagpipe will play it and the accordion's going to play some chords behind it you know like it wouldn't have even necessarily occurred to me that another instrument could play the melody line and bagpipe could play harmony well um what ha yeah interesting i mean you have to remember that in scotland uh, you know i was just in, in scotland this summer actually and um Again, the accordion and the bagpipes, they're a, t they're a pair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the accordions pretty much play all the tunes that the bagpipes play. And yeah. It's, it's... So the fact that a bagpipe... Now, the fact that Tim... What Tim does is he's not so much accompanying the melody of, of Sound of Slate. Mm -hmm. if, if you listen carefully, you realize he keeps playing the middle tune, which is his arms. He calls Cesar, which is the Cesar Oh, is that what he's doing? Thing. He just keeps going, mm. and then I switch to Sound of Slate. Mm. So it, it may seem to you that he's suddenly playing an accompaniment role, but that's not the way we envisioned it at all. That, well, that, that, that makes so much, it blends so beautifully. That, so it does. It, it, makes yeah, a it lot does. Of they sense go sense. together, but yeah. the idea is that he's playing his melody, and I've introduced Sound of Slate. Um, before then, when he joins Sound of Slate, yeah. you hear it as oh, there's there's the Sound of Slate. It's really there, yeah.
it's just um, that Tim is playing the other tune. And, you know, it depends how you mix things. Yeah. Uh, you can mix a recording of the bagpipes in, in a different, in such a way that you hear other instruments more loudly, mm. or you can mix the bagpipes to such a degree that, that what you hear is the bagpipes. It depends. Yeah, yeah. The, um, do, do you feel like, do you feel like this idea of like, oh, the word that comes to mind is confluence, sort of like the running together of different cultures like you talked about happening in, in Paris, um, the bringing together of different instruments that use different systems like chromatic and diatonic, um, the you know different musical genres coming together. I'm thinking, I guess in my head right now, what I have going a lot is uh, a lot more of the Clayfoot strutters, which is very much like there's a whole lot of cool fusion stuff going on there. Um, do you feel like that's something that has always interested you and that kind of informs the projects that you're most interested in? Or are you also like a core, like, give me the folk, you know, give me that old time religion style music, you know, like the way it's always been done? Or I, I, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to get inside your head a little bit about when it comes to musical projects, what, what gets you interested and what, what do you chase? Um, well, let's see. There's only one I, I can't quite answer, and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with my tongue. Mm. And I'm going to go back to your question. Your question is, am I drawn to things that are fusion um, more than things that are... And what was the word you said? Like how they... I think here's the problem. I know what it is, James. I, I'm having a problem with this... There's an assumption I think you're making that in the past there was no fusion. Oh, that, you, that is a new. You thing. are very insightful. I I wasn't trying to trick you in any way, but that's exactly where I wanted to go. Is the idea that we like ensconce things that we perceive as being the past as being like frozen in time, rather yeah, than because it's, I, I it's think, all a progression. But so yeah, so carry think, on with exactly what you're saying. This is exactly what I was hoping you could. Okay. Talk about. All right. Well, because I mean, for sure. There was an era in the turn of the century we were just talking about it, you know, the last turn of the last century. Mm -hmm. I, I think there was all this fusion happening in Paris. You know, there yeah. were accordions and bagpipes playing together. Oh, my gosh. And they mm -hmm. were playing jazz and they were playing French music and they were playing Italian music and tango and foxtrot and everything. Yeah. So, so fusion's always been there. And, I've, and am I always drawn to it? Well... I'm just drawn to music in general. <laughs> yes, yeah. In other words, I guess the answer is yes, I am drawn to music. Yeah, yeah. But I think to make a separation for, for people to assume that it was once this way and, we, and it's now this way, music is, has just always been changing. Mm -hmm. Now, but I feel like I haven't addressed something that you are asking is, for example, there is a way when I hear certain sounds, there are things that are not pleasing to my ears. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to get too specific about what, because that's not really important. Name the Maybe. artist, Jeremiah. I want to know. No, no, no. no. As I said, I very much not want to do that. Yeah. The, so, but the point isn't what I don't like, because, you know, who cares? The point is that not ev not everything works yeah. for me, yeah. and well, 
that's just that's how it is. Like I I experiment. I mean, today I'm writing. I'm trying to write a piece of music, and I'm not liking what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just keep keep working at it. So I think I'll I'll get a little more specific with your question. I grew up as a child playing boogie woogie piano. For oh yeah. For some reason, I got you know really into it. Now. I love listening to recordings from, you know, from, from an era when boogie-woogie piano players were just, there was no few, I mean, it was just, they were just doing it. Yeah. In a way, maybe boogie-woogie is a fusion mm-hmm. of different things. I mean, but every piece of music that I've ever listened to is a fusion. There's just no, there's nothing... It's, it's like elements in the it's in in the ground. I mean, if you dig a hole in the ground, you get all these different rocks. There's mm. just all kinds of stuff in the ground. Music is so I don't even really separate it out. I hit there is music I don't like, mm-hmm. and I tend to gravitate toward music that I like. That's just personal. And Certainly. I don't. I mean, I know this maybe sounds a little too severe to say, but. You know, it's like, I don't see the point in classifying music any more than we classify food. You know, I like that, but I don't like that. They, they are the I mean, two, the, it's interesting that you say that, though, because these are the two things, at least to my consciousness, where we often hear that word fusion being used. In, in cuisine? Yep, in cuisine and in music. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about food is that uh, it used to be just, it was about what tasted good. It, it is mm-hmm. now, unfortunately, yeah. I think, become a what it represents, the politics mm. of food. and, and mm. uh, But I, I'm not... I like to play music and listen to music that, that, that does things for me. It doesn't have to always sound traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have to sound like it's been, all, it's been done. And a lot of times, some of the music that I like the best... I didn't like it at first. Oh, sure. I will yeah. say that. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any reason. I mean, there is a danger in writing music that is too intellectual for me. There's such a thing. Mm. Um, or too dissonant or too abstract. I mean, there is music that I... Um, but I, I don't... I think with Tim and I, that, that recording, we weren't trying... We didn't have ideas as much as we had sounds in our our ears, and we trusted each other mm. to try to make sounds that we liked. I think that makes sense. So, so rather than setting out with uh, a goal, something like let's make a set that has a French folk song, a French highbrow song, and a Scottish song, it was more like this sounds nice, and it sounds it pairs nicely with this, and that pairs nicely with this, and so it comes about maybe in a more organic way. Does that sound maybe maybe close to accurate? Well, it's a little... Uh, the thing is... Say, say what you just said again. Um, uh, maybe the, the contrast... Uh, on, the, on the left hand, I could say, um, like, I want to put together a set with, that contains tunes that fit neatly into these three categories, so I'm fusing together, right, to use that word fusion, um, a, a French folk song, a French classical song, and a Scottish song because I think it'd be cool to fuse those together. Versus on the right-hand side, I could say, here's this, this tune that I like, and here's another tune that I like, and they go together nicely. And then, oh, this other tune sounds really pretty with them as well, so let's play that, because it sounds nice. 
Yes, it's the uh, latter. The latter, not yeah. The, yeah, and, and the latter is more. It's more about yeah. The. I mean, sometimes it's just serendipity. Sure, sure. Yeah. A lot of it is very much like we're playing. We have a, a you know, you, you're always throwing things at the wall. You find out what sticks, mm -hmm. you know. But there's mm -hmm. so endless experimentation. So yeah. And then the number of it, so it would be very unlike us to say, well, let's put a hip hop number next to this Scottish ballad mm -hmm. and see what we can do. But the five four set that you mentioned, I just want to say it uh, to go back into time. Yeah, Tim was thinking about writing a piece of music based on the Scottish pibroch, um, and. It, I believe it. He he borrowed an um. I think it's called the old woman. But his Port William is based on something that he that he knew. He always has an, like these fun trails and puzzles behind the titles that he chooses for his tunes. So, like if you dig enough, you can find things behind. Yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> but the the tune that I wrote that follows it that was in direct relationship. To his melody, that's Apple Knoll. That, yes, yeah. Apple Knoll came about as an exercise because he we had his piece and we both really liked it. It was in five, which is a gorgeous tempo. Uh, sorry, a gorgeous um, piece signature, time signature. I can't sure, talk yeah, now. Yeah. And um, I, I I said, okay, well I'll, let me write something. And it was it, so it was specifically written in response to his tune. I see, I see. So whereas I mean, some, it, where it, whereas it might have been, it could have easily have been that I had it in my, my um, what do you call it, my notebook. I, I could have had it simply sitting around and said, oh well, how about this tune? Let's try this. Mm -hmm. But instead, that that came about, and so that's very different when when that happens. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's something, uh, you know, not not to get too far, not to push the push you too far out there, but maybe there is some sort of like almost even, you know, musically spiritual element here that like, I don't know that I love I love this whole album, you know, the the Wind Among the Reeds. I love all the tracks, but that one in particular, not not only did it strike me in a strong way the first time I heard it, I've listened to it surely hundreds of times over the last five or six years, and it's never like not special to me, you know, like it's. Huh. Um, like I, I shared it with some of my siblings and just like, honestly, I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable with too much praise here either or anything, you know, like, um, but like it, it, it is a special thing for me. And like, sometimes I feel very stressed with work or feel like I'm failing as a father or something like that. This is kind of like a prepackaged therapy session for me. Um, I feel like my breathing slows down, my, my pulse, like everything kind of calms down and slows down. This has become sort of like a an exercise for me almost to listen to this tune. And so it's, uh, I, I wonder to, you know, I, I, I like maybe getting out there sometimes just thinking like, is it just the notes or is there something, you know, behind how this came together that, that somehow translates on a level that I can't speak to, you know? It's, uh, I'll, I, I have to say, I don't think anybody gets tired of praise when it comes <laughs> of course it's right. not just it's and i gotta say what you're what you're saying is something more personal and more just a lot more meaningful and you know it's not just praise it's like i think it's the point of music mm -hmm. so but but to go after why why does this set of tunes 
do that, mm. um, I am really curious. I, I don't, I have some ideas, you know, I have some feelings, mm -hmm. like, but I don't, I, I don't have an answer, mm. but I think that they're both, um, they're both some of our better pieces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds stupid, but I think I think I think Port William is just really um I think we'd have to analyze it musically. Mm. And I don't know that we can do that. Or I'm not sure that I'm prepared to totally take it apart musically, note yeah. by note, you know, you know. But I think that's part of it, is that yeah. it's a really um And I think the nice thing is the transition from the one into the other, obviously the whistle, it, yes. you know, it, just, it changes, it changes in energy, but my piece, because it was written very specifically as a response, they, they're connected in yeah. some way. Yeah. Now, um, I, I, you know, it's, this is where the funny thing is like to talk too much about music and, you know, music analysis and, and theoretical analysis is part of being a musician or not all musicians but you know I'm certainly prone to analysis a lot mm -hmm. if you write if you're a composer when I consider myself one you have to know what you what you do well to be able to do it repeatedly sure now this morning I've been struggling in part because I don't know how to recreate some of the things that I've done in the past, mm -hmm. including Apple Knoll. I'm mm -hmm. just thinking, so what is it about Apple Knoll that works so well? And this morning I'm working on a piece and I'm like, nope, it's not working. Mm -hmm. um, compose, sometimes you get into a zone and when you're in that zone, you might well be um, being given help by the whatever words you care to you know use I mean I I think I'm trying to answer your question if you feel something when you listen to it there's a good chance that you're feeling the same thing that Tim or I or any other composer might feel when they're writing it mm. whatever that is I do think that art functions that way consistently if artists and I include musicians in this category. Anybody making art of any kind, if it's if it's if it's got that potential for healing in uh, for other people in observing or in in um, listening to the art, it's the same thing. It's mm. but what is it? I don't know. And, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't I wouldn't want in any way to suggest that I'm like I'm taking away from the sort of like hard work or skill or talent of an artist. But it does make me think of like uh, Ross Ainsley, who's a very, uh, very popular bagpiper um, who came on the show recently, mentioned that he when he gets ideas for songs, often he feels like if he's got his radio turned on, then ideas come in. And and, yeah. and it also makes me think of uh, Tolkien, who often talked about his characters throughout The Lord of the Rings and the rest of the Legendarium as like people who he was meeting and he doesn't know what's going to happen with them, like in letters to, to his son Christopher and stuff like, oh, I just met this person, Faramir. I'm still not sure what's going to become of him, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen, you know, or was right. it Michelangelo who, who talked about his statues and saying that like, it's in there. I'm just trying to uncover it. Yeah. You know, this sort uh, of like, it's the same, yep, exactly. All, all of these, uh, the, the, the common thread here is that 
you do have to have your your receptors open, mm. um, and that's a tricky thing to do, especially for people um, when we're under a certain amount of pressure to produce something. Um, oh, sure, yeah. I I'm mean, working on a commission right the, now. Yeah, that's one of the challenges of turning it, of having it, it be your job, right? It's, it, you now, there you go. Stuff. Right back to where we started is that the problem with music is that it, you have to get outside and goof around for it. You gotta, mm-hmm. you have to do something to get to a place where you are open. Yeah. Um, and if you're not, it's harder to create um, something meaningful. Because mm. what we're doing is not, it's not about our, and this is my, maybe we'll kind of, and we might be wrapping up here at some point, and I'm going to steer us towards a thing that I have a, an allergic reaction to mm-hmm. is music that is in service to a person's ego where it's like, mm-hmm. look what I can do. And I find, you know, obviously there's some ego involved in everything because that's who we are. We're humans. Mm-hmm. But if you, again, if your receptors are off as a composer or as an artist and you could, but you create something, what are you going to have left? You're just going to have a monument to yourself. Mm. Yeah. And then other people are going to listen to it or observe it. And if, it, if it's marketed well enough, they'll buy it and they'll love it. But sure, I think yeah. without the, uh, the spiritual component, and I guess that's what we have to say, there's something that's not us mm-hmm. in spirituality that, that, that makes art so powerful. If you take that away, what the hell's left? Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> to I me, can... it's like... I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. And... No, no. I mean, I just think it's so incredible that it that it, that you could anybody could create anything of value without that, and yeah. yet it seems to me that that is in fact what's happened. What happens? There, okay. There's now I'm done. Whether, <laughs> That's my little tirade. No, no. It, it absolutely makes sense. And like, uh, like the I, 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 you know, to to be um, sort of like to give a fair rap to sort of like. Uh, the maybe two opposing things here, or maybe not necessarily always opposing. Of course, there's there's also something to be said for like impressive technicality, you know, um, fast fingers or something like yeah. that. And sometimes yeah. sometimes the two things are the same. There's some sort of special thing happening on this like ethereal plane, if you will, or whatever it is, right? And there's technical prowess. Um, and sometimes there's just technical prowess, and that can still be very impressive on its own. Um, but like I just I can I don't I wouldn't want like are we you know we we We've used the word spiritual, like, you know, is it um, tapping into something about a collective human conscience, or is it, you know, the universe, or is it a god of some kind? Like, I don't know exactly, but there does seem to be some kind of magic here, uh, you know, in music and, and other art, of course, you know. Um, and I, I guess, I just, am I keeping you too long, Jeremiah? <laughs> no, um, well, I do... <clears throat> 11.30 is sort of my... I have to stop at 11.30. Okay. So so you're not keeping me too long, but I just, in case, you know, in case you had some other thing you wanted to get to, or, you know, I don't know how you, you know, whatever. I just wanted to alert you. 11.30 is when I'm going to stop. No, that's 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 good to know. That's, that's, okay. that's what I need to know. Because they're, like... I do have like some things that I had thought I could ask you. Some of them are very trivial, like if the accordion community has any strong feelings about the uh, the Weird Al movie and what Weird Al has done for the accordion over the years. Um, <laughs> maybe that I, feels I, very well. I uh, haven't uh, I haven't seen it, but um, 
what did, has Weird Al done anything for the accordion community, positive or negative? Um, I, I think he's been. I think it's been positive. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's he plays the accordion. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't necessarily mean to. How could it not tear, be positive? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. See, but that's. I didn't. I don't want to tear down like anything uh, sort of like deeper or or more interesting that we've been talking about by by bringing it back around to something like that. But um. Oh, it's fine. I mean, I I I do feel like um, it's so. Well, what you said about listening to Apple Knoll and Port William, it just confirms for me, and it's very. I'm very glad you said what you did because it does feel like musicians do what they do, composers do what they do for a reason. It may be about ego and well, it's certainly about making a living. Yes, sure, and, yeah. and the ego is part of that. So I have no problems with that. Uh, I do feel like. When the muse, I'm going to call it the muse, mm. because we could call it God or spirituality or something. But if you say the muse, it has this interesting Greek mm. yeah. sort of mythological connection. Because what, what, what are we doing? We're listening to the muse, and the muse might help write the song mm. in much the same way that it helps Tolkien write his, his novels or, mm. or an artist do their art. And the, the truth is, how you access that is is different for every person and maybe changes from day to day. And this morning I was having a hard time with it. I wasn't successful. But part of the artist's work is to simply show up and be there ready. As they say, um, it is 99% perspiration. Now, mm. I don't know if that's whoever said that. That sounds like a quote, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a lot of labor simply showing up yeah. and saying, I'm ready. What is there something there? Mm. And I think when I listen to music that I don't like, the problem is it feels like, well, if you spend the time, I think you might create something great. But some, if people aren't spending the time that's required, it's really... I mean, you know, it, there's a lot of not great art mm, mm -hmm. that I've heard and listened to and watched and read. And I just think, well, what we need is music that's that's powerful and has the capacity to heal. Yeah. We need that. Yeah. We need we need that a lot. So so this is, I guess, this is part of the thing where, like, I feel like I want to be cautious about it because um, part, a big part of what bagpiping is for me and for a lot of my friends has to do with this competition element right huh. which yeah. is like is... i i've tried to figure this out before like i think that maybe what it taps into in our brains is at least partially and maybe even mostly more like where sports and war exist and not as much where art exists and so it becomes this weird thing where it's like we're turning art into a question of doing it exactly right and fighting against others who can't do it quite as right or who do it slightly more right than us. And it's like, these both seem to serve something in me, right? I, I seem, it seems like I need them both, but it feels, um, I guess I just, I don't want to demean competition bagpiping, but what I do feel like is important is I feel like for me personally in the past, um, I have only sat down to play my instrument with, very competitive goals in mind like here is the set of music that i am learning 
and I'm going to get every doubling and every grace note down precisely this way, and I'm going to do a lot of reps on this music that's in black and white in front of me. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of work, and that can be very rewarding. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing, right? But maybe it has its place, and there has been a, a profound lack of what I might call play, where I actually get out my instrument, and like you say, I show up and kind of like listen to the muse, maybe, you know, like just kind of see what happens, you know, and, and play on the instrument. And I feel like that unlocks something in a different part of my brain or in my heart, whereas the other was in my brain or something. Does that, is that making sense? I, I'm kind of trying to speak to my community here, right? And be like, it's good. Keep putting in the work for your, for your pipe major and play those tunes, right? But mm -hmm. um, follow the muse too sometimes. Like, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm petering out of, of words here, but I guess this is... I mean, what I, you're saying that in the bagpipe community and then the culture of bagpiping, um, there's the potential to get lost in the, um, the weeds of the technicality. Is that what you're saying? There yeah, is maybe, that potential. Maybe, maybe specifically yeah. in the competitive Highland bagpiping and the com uh, com yes, community. I, I can... I can um, I think I can relate to that. I think... I think um, I've seen that in um, in accordion playing as well, mm. but I think you're right in in bagpiping. It's um, it's unfortunate. I, I've noticed that a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel it's like hard it... to it's hard not to notice that. Honestly, mm -hmm. uh, James, I think bagpiping is yeah, it's set up in such a competitive way at times. It has a, there's a, there's a military history that I think has a part to play in it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I just, I guess part of the, the, is this an advocacy thing? I'm not even sure exactly what, but I just, I can see in my own experience how something in more recent years has like blossomed and, and been a beautiful thing to experience. Not saying that like I'm doing it well or something like that. Right. But there's been such a hyper focus on, and, and I'm not even saying that like, one is bad and the other is good, rather that maybe they're, they're just two different things, right? And there's, it's been a hyper-focus on, again, it feels like sports more to me and yeah. less like art in a way, but I also don't want to be demeaning to the form. It's like these clearly, I don't know, we were talking about how like fusion is always there, right? And it's not like anything ever is really completely frozen in time. But I think, especially in competitive piping, we do have this idea that there's an absolute right way to do it. And this has been established and you, don't, you do not stray from that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, it, it's, uh, in some ways, that's a vehicle to preserve things. And so it can be good in that way. You know, it can carry, it can be kind of like a time machine, I guess, in a positive way. But it, yeah, I think I, that it shuts down people, you know, like I have so many friends who are, don't really um, want to play not even just in public, but even just like in their own kitchen because they feel like they don't have enough technical prowess and so they just don't play the instrument. You know what I mean? Well, that 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 is a that, that I can clearly weigh in on. <laughs> please do, yeah. <laughs> that and that, save uh, me from my rambling, please. Well, <laughs> I think no, I think. But what you said is that in the end, um, I think what, what it's a great expression. You know, perfectionism is the enemy of 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 the good. <laughs> no, I'm not, I, I think I I think I'm misquoting it, but. 
Like, if somebody is afraid to play because it's not good enough, but it's such a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't play, it will never get good. But mm. if it's not good enough for you to play, then it just seems like we have to stop and say, wait, the, it's not supposed to be perfect. Mm. It's not supposed to be ideal. That's not what music is for. In fact, this idea of sports and competitiveness, sports has a winner and a loser. The point of a sporting event is that you you win. Mm -hmm. And so therefore you want to compete. And I understand that it's human nature, but music is not that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I come off sounding a little bit uh, strident about <laughs> ab about competitiveness in music. You don't have to, you don't have to be as careful I, as I do. <laughs> I don't have to be careful. That's right. You, yeah. This is something that you, you know, you have to worry about. I don't. I can be flaming. That's right. You know, I think competitiveness in music simply shortcuts the spiritual part. It's very hard to compete for spirituality because, as we know, <laughs> that doesn't really work. We could look at all the worst, all the worst examples of of religious religiously driven tragedies in all yes. of human history. That competitiveness. That's when the competitive, yeah, I, I the winner think, loser mentality. That's where yeah. the problems come in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. I don't even know why you should have to be careful about this because it's it well, seems to me like, you know, anybody who says, Well, I don't want to play because I don't sound good enough but the whole point is that you you play in order to sound good, or that you play in order to release something, and that sounding good is a byproduct, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's not the end, it's not the goal, really. Yeah. I mean, I like to play well. I'm a professional musician, so if I don't play well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> people pay money to hear me play. Right, Why yeah. should I? It, it's, it's, called, it's called lack of respect. If I show up to a gig mm. and I haven't practiced, yeah. and I play poorly, well, these people have paid money. I owe them that. That that's a that's a different contract. Mm -hmm. yeah, yes, I, am. I I do have to go. Okay. It's one o'clock. I, I I can't. I'm assuming that I can't get you to reveal to me which of you is Weezer and which one is a Squeezer, right? Well, that's the great the beauty of that name. Yeah. I gotta say was that um, that nobody could have. Yeah. Known. <laughs> because it. it, it